Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you are so good. Hallelujah, God, I stand here in awe of you tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We serve an awesome God. Amen. It's good to be here tonight. You can be seated. I'm going to have uh, Brother Jones come. He's just going to just take a few minutes. I do have a lesson I'm going to teach tonight, but I want him to come and greet you and testify, exhort, whatever he feels led to. Of course, Brother Jones is far from a stranger to this church. Amen. I was telling him the other day that I, you know, he's, um, I've, I used to always kind of, if I was talking about Brother Jones to somebody, like at work or whatever, I always um, kind of describe him or explain to them that it's my, it was my father-in-law's good friend. And, uh, and now it's just, he's, he's my good friend. And uh, he's been a, a friend to me. He's been a friend of this church. Of course, he was good friends with Brother Chuppy, Sister Chuppy. And uh, I'm just appreciative of that friendship. And uh, not just a friendship, but also he's become a mentor to me. And I, I believe that he holds an office in this church. As pastor, um, I understand that there's some things that I just don't do. Um, you know, there's a five-fold ministry, and the pastor kind of is supposed to try to do all those things. And I understand that I, God hasn't given me all those giftings. Um, so I believe that Brother Jones holds maybe even a couple of those offices in this church. So we have him here often. Um, this church supports him and his wife, um, and they're they are part of the family. Amen. And Brother Jones, come. Wow, that that's quite an introduction. I don't think I could fulfill that, but we'll try. You know, there is a, I feel something in the Holy Ghost just quickened me just now. There's some in this room that is very disappointed that you don't have a position. You don't have a title. And it, it bothers you quite a bit. And so the Lord had given me uh, a word to address that, if you don't mind. There was a king named Saul. And he had a title. God gave it to him. But because he had a title, that necessarily means that he has an anointing. A title does not give you power or authority. A title just puts you in a position where man places you or where you feel like you belong. The power lies in the anointing, not a position. And with that, there is an influence that's highly valuable to the kingdom of God. And it's an influence that will change the course of humanity. Are you catching what God is saying here today? And in the title that, that, that Saul had, he failed miserably because he had a personal issue within himself. And so, therefore, he exercised power without anointing because he had a title and it destroyed a kingdom. And God looked at it and God sends a prophet. And he says, you go anoint a king. 
And he says, you go to Jesse's house. And you tell him you get his sons there. The the idea of humanity gathers the prominent son, the first, the one that's supposed to have the next title. God passes him by, and he passes all seven of them. And Saul looks at his dad, and he says, there must be yet another son. Where is he? And he says he's attending sheep. No, nobody wants that title. In fact, it's not even a title. And he says they got a young boy, he's out there doing that. And Saul turns to his father, the father of all these boys, and he says, we're not going to sit down until he comes. Oh, and all those boys are waiting to receive a title, a position. And the one that already had the anointing before the oil was poured on his head was predestined. And I'm here to proclaim to you, we need to go past our flesh and into the veil of the Holy Ghost. And there is an anointing that God wants to pour upon each one of you. And it is not in a title or a position, but it's an influence from heaven that will change the course of humanity until we get by that. Amen. We cannot win our world. But oh, there is a miracle about to happen in this house here tonight. Amen. And that miracle is you. Hallelujah. If you can grab a hold of the anointing and the calling of God, we can turn this world upside down. It is not in a position, amen, but it's in the anointing. And God has anointed every woman and boy and child and man, amen, in this room today. It's already there. He's just looking to pour the oil. He's looking to pour the oil over your head, amen. Come out, amen, amongst them, saith the Lord. David had an anointing before Samuel went because God said, there is a boy that I have already anointed. Your job, amen, is to pour the oil on his head. So somebody is troubled because they don't have a position or feel like they're so inadequate because they don't have a title. I'm here to tell you, thus saith the Lord, it's in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And if you can get a hold of that, God is going to raise you up. Let's stand to our feet right now and let us receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church of the living God. There is a miracle about to happen right here. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the sanctuary, there's an anointing that's flowing. There's a transition that's coming. Amen. There's a miracle right in your own self. Amen. Reach out to him and say, God, I want that holy, holy anointing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that. I believe that. Amen. And I have a lesson tonight that at the outset, it's going to seem like it has nothing to do with what was just spoken. But in prayer, right before service, God gave me a scripture to end this lesson tonight. So I'm going to get into this lesson, and it's all going to come together, and it's going to be with what Brother Jones just said. 
And uh, this is what I'm going to talk about tonight. I mentioned it in the business meeting last night, but it is a, a very important topic. Um, it is not popular. Amen. Someone told me the other day <laughs> that I am one of the hardest preachers they've ever listened to. I was like, well, I didn't know I was that hard. So I'm going to try to be as gentle as I can be, <laughs> especially with a topic that can be uncomfortable. Okay? You guys, you guys going to bear with me tonight? So if you get a little squeamish in your seat, okay, just uh, blame the Holy Ghost. Blame the Word of God. But I had mentioned last night that I wanted to talk about the principles of giving of giving. And uh, this is a huge topic. And I could, I could, as I was studying this out, I mean, I could have just went on and on and on. But I just want to give us some key principles tonight. And what brought me to this is our series on 1 Corinthians. So we're just going to read, we're in 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. We're only going to get through verses 1 through 3 tonight. Um, in, first, in our last chapter in 1 Corinthians, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let everyone, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your um, liberality unto Jerusalem. So you can be seated tonight. Tonight I'm just going to title this lesson, The Principles of Giving. I believe wholeheartedly that this, the, the concept of giving is, a, is really one of the secret keys to apostolic authority, to apostolic revival, um, to blessings, and the secret key that opens the floodgates of heaven. This concept of giving. Um, Paul, in this scripture, just looking at this, he was talking about a collection of money. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about money tonight. That's not all we're going to talk about. But he's talking about a collection of money that they were uh, going to give to the church in Jerusalem. And Paul gave an order. He said, let everyone. Okay, he expected everyone to be a part to, of this offering. And he said, as God hath prospered. And we understand that when we start talking about money, that it, it can get uncomfortable because people are fairly private with their money. No one goes around and talks about how much money they, they make or how much money they owe, for that matter. This is something we keep to ourselves. Um, but there is a, a, a scriptural principle here where we give of our money. And it's easy to talk about this when we understand the concept of money and the resources um, that we have been given. Psalms 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalms 50 and 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Understand that God is the ultimate owner. Okay, Everything that exists on this earth, every dollar that's in your pocket, every penny that's in your bank is God's. It's God's. He owns it all. So when we understand that it's not us who actually owns it, it's a little easier to talk about. 
Of course, uh, God um, put us on earth and we are stewards. We are servants. We are, he's given us access to these resources that he owns. And we are to use them properly. We are to be good stewards of the resources and the money that God has given us. But at the end of the day, it's not ours. Amen? So it's just a whole lot easier to talk about when we understand that it's not ours. It's all God's. It is said, according to Brother Google, that 2,350 verses in the Bible talk about money. 15% of what Jesus talked about was about either money or possessions. I didn't actually do the figures here, but this is what, this is what Google said. So I was thinking that if 15% of what Jesus talked about was about money and possessions, it probably should be something that we talk about. So I figured we get together twice a week on average. It's 104 services a year. According to my calculations, money and possessions should be preached or taught about at least every three and a half weeks. Amen? <laughs> Maybe even more in the culture that we live in. But in the context of the scripture that we first read, Paul was taking a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Um, apparently that they, they were in need. Um, there was a poss- it said that there was a, a famine in the land. Um, and of course, the church in Jerusalem supported many widows. Um, or maybe this, the economy was bad. Regardless, Jerusalem had a need and the church stepped in to take care of it. So we're just going to go through a few principles here of um, giving. Principles of giving. And I want to start out just simply talking about the poor and the needy. The poor and the needy. We read in Acts 11 and 27, it says, In these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the earth, or a great famine, which would come to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So we read through scripture that there's a principle of giving to the needy, okay? Giving to those who are in need according to your ability, I heard somebody say the other day, it's not a bad idea just to carry a $50 bill, $20 bill, $100 bill in your wallet, that you could be ready to help somebody at any moment. I think that's a good thing, okay, that we would be able and put ourselves in a, in a position to help somebody. Now, giving to the poor and giving to the needy can sometimes be a complicated thing. Okay? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, if we read in Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring. Okay? There was some complaining going on about the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Um, so the church was helping to take care of the widows and and there was some complaining going on because not everybody was being treated fairly. It says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and the saying, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So even in the New Testament church, 
taking care of those in need was somewhat of a thing that had to be organized within the church, and it actually caused contention. There was complaining. It caused the, uh, the apostles to literally say, hey, listen, we're going to appoint some men to take care of this for us. That's where we have what we call the deacons of the church. And so we have, in, at the sanctuary here, we have a process uh, when someone comes in off the street asking for money. We have a process that they go through um, to help, that we would be able to help them out. We call it benevolence. And, and this should be handled with wisdom, and it should be handled with spirit, uh, be, by being spirit-led. Again, it can be contentious, because the simple fact is you cannot give to everyone who says they need it. Okay? We just, you just can't do that. Because we would just be passing out money all the time. And that wouldn't be a good steward of God's money either. So there has to be a process. There has to be wisdom um, in doing this. James 1 and 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So we are to be there for those who are in need. Okay? And it's not always the giving of money. Okay? But there's a lot that the church can offer of giving of themselves aside from money. Just being there for somebody. Time, energy, just a listening ear, a heart that cares, a meal, a Bible study. There's a lot that the church can offer with giving. So, I just wanted to go through a little bit. How do we determine who is in need? How do we determine that? We go to a scripture in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. It says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any of you would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies, now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Okay? So there's a, a scriptural concept here that we should work. If at all possible, if we're capable, that we should work. And, it, and Paul talks about people not working and being busybodies. And if you, just, if you look up what a busybody is, it's just somebody who's busy doing nothing. <laughs> Amen? Busy but not productive. Okay? Um, 1 Timothy 5 and 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's pretty straightforward. Like, we should work, and, 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 and of course, in this scripture, the context is the men should work. I should hear a deep growl of an amen. Amen? All right, there we go. I heard some ladies saying that. But a man should be the primary supporter of the family. Now, I'm not against women who work, but I'm against men who don't. Okay? If at all possible, they should work. I know there's special situations, there's disabilities. I understand all that. But I, I think that one of the most spiritual things a man can do is go to work. Amen? No one ran the aisles there. That was a word from God. That was a spiritual word right there. It's the truth. Okay? A man should work. In the context of, of, of this particular chapter in 1 Timothy is, is uh, Paul was talking about taking care of the widows and, and those who are genuine, genuinely in need. We, keep, we read in that chapter again, 1 Timothy 5, 3 and 4 says, honor widows that are wind, widows indeed. If you look at the other translations of this verse, he's like, take care of the widows who are in actual need. Okay. Just because you're a widow, he was saying, doesn't mean you are in need. But take care of the widows who really need help, is what he was saying. 
But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. He's saying if your family is able to help you, they should do first before the church would. So there was literally a criteria for the church to help people. We read on in 1 Timothy 5 and 9, says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, that's 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of good, of, for good works, if she have brought, brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And Paul was basically saying here, widow, a, a young widow, um, they desire to be married so badly that they end up lowering their standard and get themselves into trouble. That's what he was saying. That's what he was warning young widows of. He wasn't saying that a young widow shouldn't remarry. He was saying you need to be careful um, and not be so desirous of being remarried that you end up regretting it later. Verse 13, and with all they learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers and also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So Paul is talking about the criteria for the church helping those in need. And the criteria for the widows was they had to be at least 60 years old, wife of one man, reported of good works, moral, moral conduct was examined. Okay, so the church did have organized efforts to help those in need, as does our church today. And I believe that apart from the church, your personal giving to the poor and needy um, should have principles as well, that you should use wisdom and you should be spirit-led when giving because the truth of it is is many will ask for money and we have to be careful that we're not just supporting people's bad decisions okay that's a difficult thing that's a tricky thing especially when we have a, a huge uh, drug addiction problem okay and I understand that I, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't help somebody who, who um, is struggling with that. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we, got to, we have to use wisdom with that. That that money that we're giving them isn't just going to buy another high or buy another drunk, that sort of thing, but we're actually going, going to help them. Does that make sense? So the church, the New Testament church, had a criteria for helping the widows. Okay? So we do need to give to the poor we do need to be ready to help somebody who is in need. And it doesn't always have to be through an organized effort of the church. Okay? Although that is scriptural. Because that's what Paul was doing for the church in Jerusalem. Okay? We just talked about Save Our Children the other day. That's an organized effort um, to support children's ministry, but it also supports some orphanages in Haiti. Okay? So there are... Ways that we can do that, organize as a church, but also on a personal level, you can do that. You can help the poor and needy. And it is scriptural, amen, to do that. So, uh, principle number two I want to talk about is you can't, and I'm kind of just, I'm a little all over the place here with this whole, because there's so many of them. And I could, I could have taught this for several weeks. But principle number two is you can't outgive God. Okay, you can't outgive God. Luke 6 and 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. The idea is that we can't outgive God. And of course, the context of this scripture in Luke 6, he's talking about forgiveness. But this same principle applies to love, it applies to blessings, it applies to material uh, resources, and it applies to money, giving, okay? God wants us to know that if you give, okay, 
it momentarily will show up as a debit in your checkbook. Okay, but God wants you to know that if you will give, that he has another ledger. Okay, and he doesn't always let us look at that ledger. Okay, he's saying, listen, if you give, there's going to be a debit in your checkbook. But God's saying, I got another set of books. He's cooking another set of books, if you will. Okay, and we don't get to see them. But he's saying, if you'll give, I'll take care of you. Amen? Has anybody ever been disappointed that you gave to God? It's just never happened. Okay? Has anybody ever been disappointed that you didn't give when you should have? Okay? You missed out on a blessing. This verse here says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Well, what does that mean? Well, what they're talking about is, uh, they're talking about their robes back then had some sort of pouch on the front that they would carry things in. And basically in today's lingo, it would mean that your pockets are full. Okay? And just when you think you can't fit any more money in that pocket, God makes a little more room and puts a little more money in that pocket. That's what he's talking about, filling that pouch up. If you will give, God will take care of you. Amen. This whole idea, this principle that we read all through Scripture of you reap what you sow, it's so true. What goes around comes around. How you treat others is how you will be treated. Okay? You start nickel and diamond people. Amen. You're going to have to expect that people are going to start nickel and diamond you. It's just going to happen. Like sometimes when people get nickel and dimed, the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, you must have nickel and dimed somebody. Somebody got cheated. I'm like, oh, man, you must have cheated somebody. I honestly think that way. And I, I, I might be wrong. But it's the truth. You reap what you sow, okay? You know, I don't nickel and dime God. And I don't expect God to nickel and dime me. Like every time I pay my tithes and offer, I just round up, round up to the nearest hundred, okay? Someone asked me the other day about, you know, what do you do with your birthdays? And what do you do with, you know, someone gives you $100 for the, you pay tithes on that? I'm like, well, I just round up all the time. Sometimes I just give a little extra, and then if I don't nickel and dime God, I don't think he's going to nickel and dime me. Is that okay? You give of your resources to the kingdom of God, and the word of God promises that you'll be taken care of. It may not be how you expect it, okay? But you can be rest assured, God will take care of you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, But this I say, he which soweth, soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountiful shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he had purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Amen. Let's not do it because we think we have to. Okay? Now, I'm all about obeying the word of God. Okay, but let's not do it with a frown on our face. Let's not do it with regret and think about, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give and now I'm not going to be able to do this. Okay? <laughs> I just picked up a $4,000 SOC offering. Praise God. Got till March to pay it. You guys all need to pray for me. Okay? Because there's going be, to be some things that I don't buy. Okay? Because I'm going to give it to SOC. Brain Brother Mole for this. But, uh, but you want to know what? God will take care of me. I'm not going to miss out on anything. That $4,000, I'm not going to miss out on it. Okay? That's, how, that's the economy of God. Psalms 116.12, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Okay? Understand for all that God has done for us. Amen. What shall I render?
And if we have this in mind, God takes care. And I could literally, I could ask for a showing of hands. I could give the mic up tonight and we could literally finish off this service talking about testimonies of God with financial blessings. Amen. We could do that. I remember one time Michaela and I were so broke. It wasn't even that long ago either. But I had a decision to make whether to pay the mortgage or pay our tithes. And we paid our tithes. And uh, I, prom- I lie not, like the next day, after we gave the money to the church, the next day, we had a check in the mail. I think it was like for the exact amount because we had overpaid on our escrow account. I was like, I just couldn't believe it. It was a miracle from God. Okay, I just decided, you want to know what? This is right. This is true. I'm just going to do it. There's other times. I remember uh, one time, all my kids have teeth that are extremely crooked. All of them. I don't know what, I don't know what happened. But braces are like $7,000. And uh, um, Shayla, so we don't have like orthodontic insurance but Shayla, if I remember right, I don't remember what happened. I, I remember giving money to church and thinking, now we've got to pay for braces. And somehow something happened. This was through Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and Warford Orthodontics. Like, they did some sort of test on her where, like, her, her teeth were so bad that it was actually covered under health insurance. <laughs> and it was like, she was like the first one ever to meet this criteria with Blue Cross and Warford. Like, it was the first of its kind. <laughs> but I remember, I remember Michaela, you know, telling me, she's like, we gave that money and God took care of us. Like, it just happens over and over again. And actually, Chandler has braces, Gracie has braces, and our health insurance has covered all three kids. Okay? That's how crooked they are. <laughs> That's how bad they are. So pray for, pray for Adley. Maybe we can get away and not happen to one. But God just takes care of it. How many have a, has a story right now they want to tell? All right, there's stories all over the place. I'm not going to let you tell it. But there's stories all over the place how God just takes care of you. Uh, Michaela and I had money saved up for our kitchen remodel. When we lived in Highland Acres, we gave it to God told us. Give it to Glo- we were in the Global Mission Service at conference. I was like, I, I felt like, man, we have this money. You know, the preachers, I mean, they're, they're taking this offering. And I, I felt like God wanted us to give that money. I'm thinking to myself, if you want me to give that money, you are going to have to tell my wife that. She went to the bathroom and came back and stood next to me. And she said, I think we should give our kitchen money. I just got done praying it. We gave the kitchen money, and you want to know what? God gave us a new kitchen. A few years, we had to wait like seven years, but God gave it to us later on. Okay, God pulls through every time. And you want to know what? This isn't about how good I am. Okay, it's not about how much. It's all, it's all the goodness of God. Okay, it's God taking care of us. You cannot outgive God. Okay, it's impossible. Brother Gabe, it's impossible to outgive God. God wants us, number three, God wants us to be a faithful giver. If, uh, Luke 16 says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Okay? Most here desire to be used by God. Amen? We want to be effective in the kingdom. We want to be used in spiritual matters, in the true riches, as this verse says. But God is saying here, if you can't be trusted in unrighteous mammon or earthly wealth, how can you be trusted with other things in the kingdom? So what God is saying, he said, God is desiring for us to be a faithful giver, okay, for us to be trustworthy in our giving, that we would be a consistent giver. 
We started out in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. This was a request by Paul that they would give to this offering on the first day of every week. Okay, It was a consistent giving. Okay, It wasn't, I'll pay my tithes in October, and then the next check is in January. That's not what Paul was saying. It was saying a consistent weekly giving. And I would say that the best time to give is the day after you get paid. Amen? Just do it right away. On your budget sheet, it shouldn't be mortgage number one. I purposely, on my spreadsheet, it is tithe, it is offering, it is missions. That's the first thing right there. It should be what you do right away. Okay? Consistently. Don't rob from Peter to pay Paul, as they would say. We pay our bills on time. We pay our mortgage on time. You expect to get your paycheck on time. Give to God on time. Amen? I know there's scenarios here where there's businesses, and sometimes you don't really know how much you make. I know, I know a businessman, he pays his tithes once a year, just writes a check. I understand that there's occasion for that. Um, but for the most part, if we're being paid twice a month, once a month, just do your giving once a month. Matthew 25, 21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Don't despise being faithful over the few things. Okay? We all desire to be used in the kingdom. We all want to do great things in the kingdom. Amen? I'm here to tell you that you doing great things in the kingdom is going to start out by you, doing, you being faithful in what we would maybe consider being things that aren't so great. Okay? Faithful in the small things. Faithful in the, what this verse says, the few things. The Bible says don't despise the day of small things. Okay? Faithfulness in those little things matter. God sees it. Okay, so God desires for us to be a faithful giver. Number four, the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Matthew 6 and 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. We get this backwards a lot, and we think that where our heart is, there will our treasure be. But that's not what it says. It says, where your, wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow. Okay? Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And your heart will be there also. So when you begin to withhold your giving, namely your tithing and offering, your heart will start to be detached from the things of God. Okay? I stole that right out of Brother Chuppy's notes. He has that message called, there's a robber in the house. I got that message on my computer. And he, it's just pages of notes about giving. But when you, when, you, when you withhold your giving, you're detaching yourself from the things of the kingdom of God. When you invest into something uh, your business, your hobby, your lifestyle, your heart follows those things. You all of a sudden take an interest because you are invested. That's where your treasure is. That's where your money is. That's where you're putting your time. Okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to make a statement here. The Bible says that we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Okay, with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And I'm going to say this, that you will not be able to completely give yourself to the kingdom of God unless you also give of your money. Okay? You will not be able to give 
yourself completely to God unless your giving is right. Amen? Okay, everybody just got a little squeamish now. Uh, But many will say that they desire to be used in this and they want to do great things for God and they... um, and, you know, some people will come to me, Pastor, I, I feel like God's calling me to this. And I, I don't doubt anybody's calling ever. But a lot of times the first, time, the first thing I ask them is, are you giving to that cause? Okay? Pastor, I want to be used in children's ministry. Did you run up here and grab a bag at, for the SOC offering? Pastor, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. Are you giving to children's ministry? Pastor, I feel like I'm called to missions. Are you giving to global missions? Okay. Pastor, I want to be used in the youth department. Well, are you giving to move the mission? Right? That makes sense. Does that not make sense? I was thinking about this when I was, when I was 22 years old. Um, I went all in on a business opportunity. I went all in on being a partner in a window and door company. Everything that I had done up to that point in my working career went into that business. Every tool that I owned, every trailer, every pickup, all my money, which wasn't much, I invested into that business. Along with the money, there was a lot of time and energy But back then, if I would have told you that I wanted to be a window and door guy, that I wanted to own a window and door business, but I wouldn't have done any of those things, would it have been believable? Would that have been believable? So when you, the point I'm trying to make is when you invest into something, you become committed to it. Okay? You want to be a part of it. You're going to do everything you can to make it work, to make it happen. Okay, when you invest your resources into something, your heart follows it. Okay, when you talk about feeding your flesh, you spend time, energy, and money in, into feeding your flesh into the things of this world, and, and really the only thing you reap is the thi- you, you begin to reap the things of the flesh. That's all there is. But when you begin to feel a call to do something for God, you need to begin to feed the calling. Okay? You need to begin to feed the call. And I'm not just, I'm talking about giving tonight. And there's a lot of giving that has to do with money, but I'm talking about giving your time, giving your energy, okay? Giving your resources to the calling. And when you begin to invest into it, your heart follows. When you begin to say, hey, you want to know what? I'm going to teach a Bible study. Okay, I'm going to give myself several hours a week to teaching somebody a Bible study. Okay, you, you begin to invest into somebody else's life. Okay, all of a sudden, your heart's following. Okay, all of a sudden, you know, when they didn't show up for Bible study, you're concerned about them. You're praying for them. All of a sudden, your heart's invested. All of a sudden, you're fasting for them. You're praying for them. You're studying the word because you want them to receive the word of God. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes we want to show up first with, with an idea that we want to do something, but we're not invested. Invest, and your heart will follow. Okay? That's the heart of the matter. Feed the calling of God. I'm going to talk just a little bit about principle of of tithing and offering. Um, Again, this could be a complete Bible study itself on tithing especially, Um, but many would like to think that tithing was done away with, with the the Old Testament law, with the Mosaic law, Um, but I'm here to tell you that tithing is a principle of God, okay? It preceded the law, and it succeeds the law, okay? 
Um, before the Mosaic law, there was tithing. Okay, we have a scriptural example. Both Abraham and Jacob tithe pre-law. Okay, the Mosaic law only reinstated and expressed the how, why, when, and where of tithing. We read in Malachi 3 and 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have, ye, have we robbed thee? In tithes and offering. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if it will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I'm here to tell you that God expects us to tithe. Okay? And if you have any more questions about that, I'd be happy to talk to you about it because it's not just Old Covenant. Malachi, that's Old Testament, but there's scriptures in the New Testament. It's a principle of God that preceded the law and succeeds it as well. God expects us to tithe. And in Malachi, God was accusing them, the, the Israelites, of literally robbing God. I don't ever want to be accused of robbing God. And they robbed God, how? With their tithes and offering. He said, it's a sin that brings a curse. That's what God said. The world doesn't get evangelized when we don't tithe. Our failure to give, God's, give to God's work causes more to remain in darkness. The minister is not taken care of. And it said it shuts the windows of heaven when we don't give of our tithe and offering. I'm here to tell you that if you really want to tap into the realm of the heavenly, okay, if you really want to tap into the anointing, and I'm not saying that you give so you can get, but what I'm saying is if you really want the floodgates of heaven of anointing to flow in your life, you've got to, to learn to give. To pay your tithes and your offering. Oh man, there's so much I could talk about. We understand that tithing in the old covenant was meant for the Levites, to support the Levites who, who worked in their priestly roles. Um, the, the Israelites paid tithes to the Levites. And we understand in the new covenant, the Bible talks about, it says, let the elders rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. I want to just clear the air. I am not preaching this so I can get more money. Okay. Amen? That's not why I'm preaching this. Um, and I know that's, that's, you know, pastors get up and start talking about money, and that's what people think. The only reason I'm preaching this is because I want you guys, I want the church to be blessed. And I want you guys to be able to tap in to all that God has for you. Okay? I'm not up here begging for money. Because we need money for something. You guys, if you were at the business meeting last night, this church is in good financial shape. Okay, so I'm not preaching this because we want to fill the bank accounts. Okay, I'm preaching this because I want you to really tap into all that God has for you. And it's through this principle of giving. Amen? Um. Deuteronomy 26 and 9 says, And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. And here we have the Israelites worshiping God. Literally, when we give, it's a part of worship. Okay? We, we worship with our mouths. We worship with our thoughts. We worship with our emotions, our actions. But we also worship God with our giving. 
okay? Have you ever wanted to give somebody a gift because you wanted them to know how much you appreciate them? Okay? When we give to God, it is a form of worship. And it's, it's the, I mean, we can never repay God for what he did for us. But it is a form of worship saying, thank you, God. Thank you for what you did for me. I mean, this is the least I can, only 10%, God, is that all you're, you're requiring of me? God, I want to give you more, amen, because of all that you've done for me. The Bible says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. I, I think I've, I've probably said this over the pulpit, but, and I've talked about this with others, but the Christmas season is, I'm going to use the word, is magical. Okay? There's something magical about the Christmas season. I was thinking about this a few years ago. Like, even for people who don't really celebrate Christmas, thinking about Jesus, it's still a magical season for them. And I began to think the only, the reason it is, because people are excited about giving. People are excited about buying gifts and giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I believe that if we will get these principles down in our hearts, the, the floodgates of heaven will open. And I'll be honest with you, there's... A, there's I don't know all the financials of what you're giving, that sort of thing. Um, I know there's a lot of people that give. I'm, so I'm not, I'm not coming at you with a bat tonight saying that you're not giving and you should. I'm just challenging you to give more. Give more. Every year, um, have, you know, challenge yourself. Um, have faith in God to maybe just give a little higher percentage of your total income. I do that every year. I get that statement from Sister Crystal, and then I get my deal from work, and I'm like, this is how much I gave, this is how much I made, and I look at my, the percentage of income that I gave. And I tr we, try to, we try to give more every single year. Okay, if you will, if you will and God's blessed, and I, I'm, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, we have not always done giving the right way. Okay? There was some tough years. We made, we made bad decisions. Okay? God was graceful with us. But I'll tell you, when we learned how to give, the floodgates of heaven opened up. And I want, I want that to be in your life, in your ministry, that God would, would, uh, would just bless you and use you in the kingdom of God because of your willingness to give. Amen? In Matthew chapter, I'm going to close with this scripture. Matthew chapter 19. We have the story of the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, and verse 16. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do? that I may have eternal life. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I? What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." And I, just closing this out, I believe 
wholeheartedly that when we give, there is a spiritual transaction. Like something spiritual happens. I can't explain it. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. But I know that when we give something, it's a very spiritual thing. And going along with what Brother Jones had said, I, I, the thought came to my mind, praying right before church, of the rich, young ruler. This is how this man is described. Rich, young, and ruler. <laughs> rich, young, ruler. This rich, young ruler struggled with materialism. This rich, young ruler struggled with immaturity. He was rich, he was young, and this rich, young ruler struggled with pride. Rich, young ruler. I don't want to be described as any of, any of those. Rich, young ruler. And he came to Jesus, seemed like with good intentions, but the cure to his issue, the cure to the, the, the answer to him drawing closer to God, to him being used in that anointing, Okay. He came to Jesus and said, what can I do? <laughs> what can I do? Okay. He struggled with pride, immaturity, and materialism. And God simply gave the answer. He said, you need to give. You need to give. Quit trying to get. This rich young ruler lived a life of getting. Okay? Working his way up. You know, possessing this, you know, this next best thing. Having this, you know, hierarchy of authority. He was a ruler. Okay? And Jesus said, I want you to forget about getting and achieving and I want you to give to church and, and, and I'm not just talking about money here I'm just talking about a change of mind towards every day everything that we do okay so we don't come to church to get <laughs> okay we come to church to give. Now, of course, when we come to church, we do get, right? Like, there's blessings. We get to feel the presence of God. We get fellowship. But we come to church to give, to give of ourselves, to be there for a brother or sister. And I believe that if we will pray and ask God to help us have this sort of attitude that your life, your ministry, your walk with God will flourish. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. This is, this is something I, I do really feel strongly about. And uh, I think it's a, these principles we got to get down into our hearts. And we could, again, I could go on and on and talk about giving in scripture and even dive more into tithing and all that sort of thing. But the idea is, is that in our culture and, and in our flesh, we like to get. Okay? We like to receive. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I'm, I'm going to just challenge the church. Do an audit of your personal giving, okay? And not just your money, but your money. Do an audit of your time. 
what you put your energy into? Are you giving to the kingdom of God? There's nothing greater that we can give to than the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the principles, God, that you've laid out for us, God, in your word. God, I pray that this church, God, would receive this idea, these principles in their hearts. God, that we would live this out. God, that we would be challenged to give of ourselves more and more, God, as we draw closer and closer to you, God. Though there's a great work, God, that needs to be done in this world, God, there's souls that need to be reached. God, there's people, God, that we need to love and we need to teach them. God, I pray, God, that there would be a spirit of giving, God, that would overcome every man, woman, and child in this church. God, that we, I rebuke this idea that we would live life to get. But God, I pray, Lord, that every Christian, every man of God, every woman of God in this place, God, would just give themselves to your kingdom. God, in the name of Jesus, God, have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> you start talking about money, it gets awful quiet. I love you all. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you.